Welcome to the Manor. Welcome back to the Twin Terrors, Macabre Manor of Mead, Metal, and Mayhem. I'm Jody. <laughs> I'm James, who's about to take a drink till Jody started <laughs> doing the intro. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> see, see, what happens is James will ask me, do you want to do the intro? And instead of saying yes, I just jump in <laughs> and it throws him off, <laughs> which is why I do it. Question is not consent. Question is not consent. <laughs> um. Anyway, <laughs> yes, part four of Led Zeppelin, <laughs> Led Zeppelin two album, <laughs> uh, moving right on in there. Yeah, that's what she said. <laughs> <laughs> so this time we're just going to talk about the songs, uh, out yeah. of which there are nine of them on on the original initial album. Uh-huh. Uh, most of them were written by the whole band, and sometimes others. Uh, Four. Yeah, say there's there's at least one song that has extra no two two songs that have extra songwriting credits yeah. than when they were originally published. But uh, yeah, four out of nine were like the whole band. Four out of nine were Page and Plant, and uh, one of them <laughs> we'll get to here soon. So I, I thought we'd go in order of the songs. Yes, sounds like a good idea. I I thought so. What's the first one you ask me? Because everybody knows, and they don't need to ask. Whole lot of love. Whole lot of love, but damn, but damn, bam. Yep, yes. let's, let's stop that shit. Yep, whole lot of love based off Muddy Waters, written by Willie Dixon. You need love, which you can hear Robert scream in there. <laughs> yep, based off of. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. It's just based off, based off of, but it's actually patterned a bit more off of the Small Faces version because they also ripped off You Need Love and did a song remarkably similar to Zepp's version. <laughs> I have actually not heard that. I have, and it is amazingly like Zepp's version, except one of them is better than the other. Hmm, I wonder which one. No, I don't know, but there's a reason why we're doing Led Zeppelin and not Small Faces. (laughs) (laughs) Who are good? They're good. Oh, yeah. They're not Zeppelin. Right. And and Jimmy does give some credit where it's due. Uh, For example, he credits Kramer, engineer, for a lot of the help in the middle of the songs. And Jimmy also credits Hendrix and the Beatles for their aural ear oral landscapes which he kind of used as some you know an idea of what to do mm-hmm. yeah he does give give some some credit and he used a depressed wall not not a sad but a depressed wall pedal in the song just like communication breakdown mm-hmm. and on a nope please go i heard you well no i was i was gonna say he okay so the, the wall pedal it's that thing that kirk hammett abuses <laughs> like a redheaded stepchild yeah but what what jimmy would do is uh, and 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 this is what James means by depressed. It, it, typically, what you do with a wah pedal is, it's a foot pedal, so you put your foot on it. But it's it's a it's like a. <laughs> is that what you do with a foot pedal? <laughs> yeah, that's what you do with a foot pedal. So, but it's it's kind of you don't just tap it, and and it changes the sound. That's not it's, what she said. You, yeah, 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 yeah. But it's you you put your foot on it and you you know move it back and forth or whatever. And that's where you get that wah, wah sound, right? Yeah, okay. like a teeter So what Jimmy would do, yeah, like a teeter, but what Jimmy would do, and this is what, when James says depressed, is he would just move it into the one position and keep his foot there. So he would keep the pedal depressed so that it stayed in that position and that sound was consistent instead of fluctuating back and forth. Like Kirk Hammett, where solos go, yeah. <laughs> Love you, Kirk. Yeah, but Jimmy Jimmy used that quite a bit throughout the Zeppelin days. Did indeed. 
because I do remember him talking about that, that that was a thing that he, he typically would do because he just, he liked the way it changed the sound. Oh, my personal thoughts on the sound? Sure. Of the, of the song? Yeah. <laughs> great bombastic song. Uh-huh. Great drums and yes. bass, like the, the runs and everything. Fantastic. Uh-huh. Love the backwards echo. And Robert's sex noises. Well, I always wish that got my dates in the mood, but it doesn't. But it should have. It should have, because Percy's sex noises are awesome in there, Heather. <laughs> Sorry. I'm okay. <laughs> Everything's fine. Uh, um, yeah. So the lyrics, <laughs> unless you've got more on the song. Well, I do, but no, we'll, we'll trade off here. Go ahead. Okay. So the, the lyrics, um, borrowed. Yeah. Um, the, the lyrics were not so much borrowed from Muddy Waters' You Need Love as they were specifically the lyrics from Muddy, Muddy Waters' You Need Love, <laughs> as written by Willie Dixon. And uh, in the 80s, Willie Dixon sued Led Zeppelin and got songwriting credit as, as he should have. Right, yeah. And, and the thing was, you know, I, 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 we keep saying that, like, Jake Holmes. Yeah, yeah. Jake Holmes or Randy California had opportunity when these albums came out to do something about the songwriting credits and instead they waited decades to do something about it i think in the case of willie dixon i don't think willie knew see that's just a, i don't care if it's 20 years later if it's when you hear about it and you yeah go for it yeah but that's that's different it, that that's different from Jake Holmes being asked about it when the first album came out and saying no no let him have it or Randy California commenting on how similar his song and Zeppelin's song sound to each other and yet not doing anything about it and it's his family 40 some years later who's suing them but like I said in Willie Dixon's case I don't think he knew about it and I think as soon as he found out then he sued speaking of bands borrowing that's perfect because one of my next notes uh-huh. <laughs> we've mentioned the Stones and Beatles in a previous episode yes. borrowed things so when we just mentioned how Zeppelin maybe used Small Faces version Small faces weren't immune. They borrowed guitar riffs without giving credit, such okay. as the instrumental part of their first single, What You Gonna Do About It, where the guitar riff came from Solomon Burke's Everybody Needs Somebody to Love, which is... That's a good song. It is. It's a recognizable to our generation from the Blues Brothers version. Yeah. On a, another fun note, lyrics to watch you were penned by Brian Potter, produced hits for several bands, including Coven, Ah. The Drifters band member Ian Samwell, who also wrote Move It for Cliff Richard and the Drifters, one of the first rock songs produced outside the USA for some context. My note, my note here says to further contextualize, and I, I already said context, so I'm not going to ask if we should drink for contextualize. Yeah, let's not. But uh, Whatcha was heavily produced by their manager Don Arden, uh, sorry, heavily promoted by their manager Don Arden, who we've talked about a lot. Yeah. And uh, he spent a lot of cash around 12,000 pounds to ensure a hit because at the time that was that pay to play that we also mentioned in a episode about a year ago. Yeah. And you know what? They didn't credit anybody else. <laughs> so, yeah. so listen, yeah, you fuckers, which I don't think actually I've got a note about this too, where the small faces, you know, they didn't always give credit. And here's my note on that. Small uh, faces had a similar version, 1966 called you need loving. Mm-hmm. For the debut album, and Robert was a fan and went to many shows, according to biography interviews. And then this is where he picked up the phrasing, and Jimmy used some of the arrangements. And supposedly, uh, Steve Marriott 
from the small faces was driving his car when Zepp's version came on and he thought, Percy, you little bastard, go on, son. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, they, uh, they, they heard that, but the, their writing credits were given to Ronnie Lane on bass and Steve Marriott, the lead vocals and lead guitar, uh, but they were never sued by Dixon, although they did later reach out in agreement and, and gave Dixon some money, so very cool of small faces. Yeah, oh yeah. And Dixon used that money to buy musical instruments for school programs. That's why I got into some of the blues guys, because of Zeppelin, because I would read stuff like Hammer of the Gods, and even though you, you know, pretty much have to take it with a, a shaker full of salt. <laughs> They talked about how Zeppelin was influenced by, by the blues. And that's why I got into Robert Johnson. That's why I got into Helen Wolf and Muddy Waters and Willie Dixon. Because those guys influenced the bands that I love. That, that's why it's, it's always important to go back and look at those things. Right. One more note on this song, and then I'll let you rant. Jonesy thought Jimmy really came into his own as a producer with this album, but specifically with a whole lot of love because of the backwards echo and his miking techniques. Yeah, that middle section of the song with the with the backwards. Well, not just yeah, the, that whole oral, or oral, oral, oral landscape. Yeah, that 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 whole thing just wow. And, and you know, sometimes I'll I'll go for quite a bit without listening to any of the Zeppelin stuff. But then when I come back to it, it's just like you know, you're kind of hearing it with fresh ears, and just wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Do you have anything on a whole lot of love besides what we've blathered on about? Only that when they. Uh, around the time they released the uh, How the West Was Won, um, they, they put out the Led Zeppelin DVD, uh, which was a bunch of concert performances. And the only song that was, and, and it concert performances that spanned their entire career. And the, the only song that Jimmy actually put on there twice was Whole Lot of Love. And the reason he did it, from what he said, was because he wanted to show how the song had evolved and how they as musicians were always... You know, they were always evolving. The songs were always evolving. Um, and A Whole Lot of Love was the biggest example of how that happened. Yeah, that's a good point. All right. Second song on the album, which is what everybody I've ever dated has told me. Uh -huh. what, what is and what should never be? <laughs> <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I personally like the smooth, jazzy intro. Yeah. In bits in there. I mean, it shows that intersection, that diversity the musical talents within the band that we've discussed mm -hmm. loves it yeah yeah it picks up towards the end oh yeah it does does goes goes more into a rock thing but yeah it's it's kind of a or even during the chorus it kind of picks up a little bit but yeah it, it does it has kind of that jazzy influence jimmy's uh slide work with the echo i i love oh, the yeah. way that slide sounds with that echo in yeah. there yeah uh, yeah no it's it's uh it, it is it's a great song written lyrically about robert's mistress in the U.S. Because <laughs> whoever it was he was seeing when they were on tour in the States. Now, according to Stephen Davis from Hammer of the Gods, it was about Robert's romance with his wife, Maureen's younger sister, Shirley. Oh, is that who it was? Well, that's what Stephen Davis says, and not much backs it up. But wait, didn't he wind up, after he divorced Maureen, didn't he wind up married to her sister? I don't know if they're married, but they had a child together later. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, this one may be a grain of salt, but maybe Stephen Davis had something on this one. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that I've ever seen a picture of her younger sister, but I know I've seen pictures of Maureen, and she was quite the looker. <laughs> she was very attractive. Yeah. Anglo-Indian family, very, yeah. very attractive. 
I mean, and of course, what is and what should never be is probably, I mean, it would be a little more apropos about your wife's sister, but also would fit with a U.S. groupie mistress. Yeah. And by the way, what it was and what should never be was on how the West was won. Okay. Yeah. So, I was thinking it was. That's it. That's all I have on, on that. Okay. Oh, wait. Um, I, as, as the, not as it fades out, but as it goes into that last section, how they, they, he, how Jimmy pans the sound from one side of the one side to the other yeah yeah so if you listen to it with headphones on it sounds really fucking cool it does i uh didn't have a good system set up but i remember actually going to our buddy larry's yeah and he had a really nice system and you could really like the speakers were nice and far apart the right distances and you could just really hear it go back kind of like in the ocean yeah. that we'll talk about in a few albums yeah but i think it was I, I think it was just the guitar that he did that with i don't think he did it with the drums and bass i move on yeah. To the lemon. I mean, the lemon <laughs> song. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so here's another song Robert didn't rewrite the lyrics to. <laughs> no, no, you inspired by Howlin' Wolf's Killing Floor. <laughs> snicker, snicker. <laughs> inspired my ass. <laughs> yeah, you can actually hear Killing Floor in the lyrics as Robert sings them. Yeah. And every, everything else. And, and he was, uh, Wolf's real name's Chester Burnett, and he yes. was given credit later on after a lawsuit <laughs> yeah deservedly again you know yeah um, absolutely although I, I will say by that time he probably had died now this was a song that goes back as far as them playing it this one goes back to the early tours like in support of the first album yeah uh, yeah because i have heard some of those recordings and i think uh before led zeppelin 2 came out and they retitled it the lemon song they were um, the, the bootleg records will actually list it as Killing Floor Blues or Killing Floor. Now, but that's not the only song that Robert borrowed lyrics from because he, he did borrow, and I do not remember which Robert Johnson song it is, but the actual lyric about the lemon in the song comes from a Robert Johnson song. Right. The, the lyric, yeah, squeeze my lemon till the juice runs down my leg. Uh, the, the song was dra- dropped from sets not long after this, this time period, but right. the squeeze my lemon line from from robert johnson's lyrics keeps working its way in other songs when they play yeah uh damn i cannot remember which song that was. i can't either i even heard it recently i you know what i'll just say go check out some robert johnson <laughs> he is he is quite good um yeah see squeeze is it traveling riverside blues see i think it is I actually think it is because because they did record a version of traveling riverside blues and he didn't use that line in the song no, no, because he already stole it. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was recorded around this time, but they recorded it for the BBC. So it was not recorded for the album. It was recorded for the BBC radio. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, you can get on BBC, so, uh, the, the re-release BBC sessions because it came out as a single in 1990 or something. It right? was, yeah, it was originally, when they originally released it on one of their own albums, it was the first box set they put out was was where uh, traveling riverside blues when they officially now i had it before that because i had a bootleg album <laughs> with with a bunch of those bbc recordings but yeah it was um uh, they didn't officially release it until about yeah 1990 on the first box set that came out which i think we talked about in the first episode of this arc we may have <laughs> what are you gonna do you just doubled up go back and listen to it see if i did <laughs> Oh, well, actually, I know we did. I just looked at my notes. <laughs> oh, okay. I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, it's all good. 
Uh, so that's all I have on the lemon song. Yeah. Okay. How about you? Um. Yes. Yes, that is all I have on the lemon song. All right. Well, thank you. Next no, song. that's the next song. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to wrap up uh, side one of the album when it would be vinyl two sides. So this is yeah. last one on the on side one is a uh, thank you. Yes. Written about Robert's wife Maureen. <laughs> so yes, uh, as opposed to his mistress. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So he's so he's got he's got one song to his mistress and one song to his wife. <laughs> Kudos, Robert. And yeah, and uh, quite honestly, I consider this one of the most beautiful rock and roll songs I have ever heard. Well, spoiler, one of my two favorite on this album. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I I love. In fact, I've got a note here that says I love the song, the direction the band takes when Robert takes the lyrical reins, becomes more comfortable, which we'll get into mm-hmm. more later. But I, like Robert, even seems kind of he he had to be kind of ribbed, you know, good naturedly ribbed, teased into writing some lyrics. But I think these are fantastic. The whole thing. Oh the, yeah, the song. Yeah, yeah it just it, it's beautiful, like you said. It, it is. Yes, it is. It's and um. I mean, yeah, Jimmy's guitar playing, the guitar solo is awesome. John Paul Jones' organ playing is fantastic. I love that. I, I love the organ in it and that little sneaky ending where yeah. the song fades out and it comes back in with the organ. Yeah. The organ all around. And, and, you know, and Bonham, I mean, he's, he plays just enough, you know? He doesn't overpower the song like he could because, you know, that's the kind of drummer he was. Awesome yeah. song. Yeah, Bonham does a great job of adding to Jimmy's light and shade because he's heavy when he needs to yeah. be. And he's soft and a bit jazzy when he needs to be. Yeah, yeah. Good. See, and I think that's what, um, again, because you just mentioned jazzy again. I, I think that's what made guys like Bonham and... Ginger Baker. But those guys came from a jazz background. They were... I mean, they, they all listened to jazz drummers coming up, and that was the style that influenced them. And, and to me, Ginger Baker, who was a, and we'll get into this here in a couple of songs, was a big influence on John Bonham, and he, he came from a jazz background. And I think that, I, I mean, and I'm not saying that there weren't good rock and roll drummers to that point, because, I, you know, uh, Ringo Starr was a good rock and roll drummer, but I think you you don't get to that next level of drummer until you get Ginger Breaker with Cream, and John Bonham just took it to a whole nother level. And that, that's where Zep gets all their their stuff. They have all these different backgrounds. I think this song has a little folksy leaning a from Jimmy's bit. playing. Yeah, it does. And, and, and that it, whole combination and it melds. It melds and meshes together so well. Absolutely, it, it was so good. In fact, uh, so a while back. Uh, Gibson Guitar Company put out the 10 great songs to give thanks for Thanksgiving in 2010. <laughs> and uh, Thank You was on this list. Nice. Yeah, nice. Kind of, although there aren't too many songs about thanks in the you know whole thing. And yeah. some of the songs on there are not songs I'd want to listen to. What are you going to do? And I kind of dig Jimmy's backup vocals. Yeah, and there are not a lot of instances of backing vocals on Zeppelin songs. No, and then I... Uh, and it was usually, not always, but usually Jimmy, although I do know that Bonham contributed a few backing vocals, because there is footage of him doing backing vocals live. And I know a previous episode of this storyline, we, we mentioned the Beatles, and, and I said something about their 
vocals are harmonizing. And now that is the difference between the Beatles and Zepp. The Beatles harmonize with their voices. Yeah. And they even did some different things towards the end of the time with Sgt. Peppers and everything. I still think Zepp blows them away musically. Yes. But, but there are, you know, some of the harmonies and everything. Of course, with Robert, I don't know if you need a whole lot of harmonizing. No, you don't. And and in all honesty, it's a different, I, I'm going to say beast, but that's not necessarily the word I was wanting to use originally. I get to what you're saying, though. That makes sense. Yeah. I just, you know, I, I think that Jimmy just kind of approached it as there were four instruments in the band and Robert's vocal, his, his voice was an instrument. It wasn't supposed to stand out more than the rest of the band. I think they're actually Jimmy quotes. There may I'm be. I'm kind of saying that. Yeah, there may be. Hey, uh, I've got one little bit of trivia here for thank you. Okay. It's written in the key of D major, which is the flip side to the key of D minor, which is the saddest the, of all of keys. keys. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, so what's this one called? Lick my love pump. <laughs> <laughs> we really got to do an episode on that movie. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Yes. There's a drink, damn it. Yeah, shit, I'm almost out of beer. You got to stop that. <laughs> Sorry, moving on. <laughs> um, side one is done. Moving on to side two, but that's yes. not a moving on, moving on. That's just saying moving on to side two, not stop our, it. <laughs> not our tangential moving on, Duchess, <laughs> or what's not. <laughs> so side two starts with Heartbreaker, probably one of Zepp's most well-known songs yeah it's gotten so many accolades especially for jimmy's guitar work i mean it's, oh, yeah yeah if you, if you don't know heartbreaker not sure why you're listening to this podcast unless you're <laughs> listening to the tolkien episodes yeah uh jimmy said this is the first song he recorded using his gibson les paul that we've mentioned in this zep two thing and uh marshall stack combination snazzy well it sounds like it yeah you you can hear <laughs> very rock and roll heavy metal thing because that's a lot of people like those Marshall stacks oh yeah I always ask my dad how come he never bought him he says well they're they're just loud it's just they're either nothing or it's loud I'm like well isn't that the way it's supposed to be it's rock and roll you know (laughs) that's what the acoustic guitar is for dad (laughs) yeah (laughs) and uh going like talking how we mentioned the recording was done all over the solo was recorded at a different studio than the rest of the song yes Uh, I was gonna I was going to mention that, but since you already did, there you go. Well, well it, it's, it's kind of an afterthought, yeah. but I, I think you've mentioned a different part of this too in a previous episode. I may have. The, the next bit. Because of this, because of it being in a different studio, you'll actually notice that the solo is a bit higher in pitch than the rest of the song. Oh, I think I did mention that. You, the, you did, yeah. Oh, you, Deep yeah. Purple. Yeah, that was it. That was yeah. where you'd mentioned yeah, it. Yeah, the the uh, uh, the mule off the Fireball album. They had to that re-record. Was... Uh, yeah, yeah, had to re-record Ian Pace's drums for ah. part of the song because some dumbass re- recorded or erased the drum track. Yeah, the damn it. It wasn't this, but yeah, yeah. yeah. In Jimmy's case, it's just like, all right, we'll do a solo here. Yeah, which which I I, I keep forgetting. I actually want to sit down with with my computer and edit it out just to see how that sounds. <laughs> without the guitar solo in it i you know just for shits and giggles to see what it was like two famous guitarists actually point to this song as being a big impact steve i listened to this as a young man said it had a yes. huge impact and eddie van halen credits his solo as the origin behind his tapping technique yeah i actually forgot i hadn't heard about steve Vai. i had forgotten about eddie but yeah uh, that's all i has on heartbreaker well i okay i will say this 
typically when you hear Heartbreaker on the radio, but I, I know back in the day, going back to the 70s and, and uh, AOR, album-oriented rock, and up into the classic rock era throughout the, through the 90s, Heartbreaker would stop, and then they would just let it play directly into the next song, which we've mentioned in the last episode was Living, Loving Maid, She's Just a Woman. And they would always play the two songs back-to-back. Yeah, always wondered why. Not entirely sure. Well, I, I think it's because they that that seg from Heartbreaker into Living Loving Maid, it happens so fast. I mean there there's almost no space in between the two songs. Yeah, and they do so go it, well together. Yeah, they do. And it, it almost sounds like that was like it's just one big long song in a way. Except that, you know, the two songs sound nothing alike. But <laughs> but but there's no there's no there's almost no space in between the end of Heartbreaker and the beginning of Living Loving Maid. So and, and especially when you're when you're playing the vinyl copy, I mean, it'd be easier to do if you were to record it to a tape and, you know, I'm thinking back in the seventies when they would have been doing this, it's easier when they're spaced that close together to just let it run into the next song and let that song play. And although it's played with Heartbreaker on the radio, never performed live. No. And, and like we mentioned, they, the band did not like the song. I'm not even sure how it made the album. I don't know. Jimmy says it's one of his least favorite Zepp songs. Yeah. Although Robert sang it during his uh, 1990 Manic Nirvana tour, you, you sneaky Robertses. Sneaky Robertses. That's it's kind of funny because I didn't think Robert liked it that much either. Well, Jimmy hated it. Not sure any of them loved it, but. Well, I think I, I, I think as a as a collective, I th- they kind of just viewed it as filler, which was very rare for them to put anything considered filler on the albums. True. Although, uh, you know, maybe again, they didn't have complete control because it was also the B-side to Whole lot of Love. Here's True. where you had mentioned the B-side and it was yeah. made, even though it came out as its own single later. But yeah, Jimmy hated it. It, it was still released. So uh, more vo- backup vocals from Jimmy. Yeah. He does a bit here. And what is this song about, Jody? Um, it's about a woman. Yeah, she, she, she's just <laughs> it's, a woman. It's a, yeah, it's, uh, it's about an older woman. <laughs> yep. Who, who doesn't quite realize she's past her prime. But thinks she can get with the boys in the band anyway. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah a gr- groupie who was trying to get in and was quite forward. This is the one I'm, I'm fairly certain where she's hitting on Robert like a lot. And Robert goes over and finds a shy little groupie off to the side and brings her back. And <laughs> uh-huh. it's okay. I mean, we all hit our prime and decline sometime. And we haven't hit ours yet. <clears throat> But sure. Yeah, sure. <laughs> That's all I got on uh, Living, Living, Made. I, I do like it. I do, too. I'll be honest, my least favorite tend to be the singles, or at least the ones that FM stations play, just because I've heard them way more than the others. And then yeah. sometimes it gets old. Fucking yeah. station, play some other fucking songs. Yeah. Looking at you, Q95. Anyway, it's uh, time for us to ramble on to the next song. <laughs> Yes. And uh, which is Ramble On. Yes. Uh, supposedly, according to some biographers, not just one, read it a few places, these were the first lyrics that Robert Penn that he actually liked. So Thank You was the first one he wrote, but he, he liked this. But I, I would like to say again that some of these biographers still talk about his band Hobbs Tweedle. Fucking Hobbs Tweedle. <laughs> fuckers. So there's that. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So yeah, uh, one of the things I love about Robert's lyrics, and I'll still occasionally pick up new things. I know this sounds 
probably simple to a lot of people, but ramble on, ramble on, leaves are falling all around. I loved it anyway, because I always love autumn. Yeah. Favorite season since I can remember. But as I was listening to this song not long ago, when I was doing some of these notes, I realized that because I was also reading Fellowship of the Ring at the same time, uh-huh. Bilbo and Frodo both left in the fall as the leaves were changing color and falling all around. Yep. And Tolkien fits in with the song because there's some Tolkien lyrics. Yes. Well, he mentions Gollum. He mentions uh, the evil one, so Sauron. Yeah, crept up and snuck away with her, which has nothing to do with Lord of the Rings, but that's okay. (laughs) And Mordor, you know, mentions Mordor. Yeah, it's kind of like a Lord of the Rings D&D love song. Yeah. Although how he met a girl so fair in the... Darkest Steps of Mordor. Darkest Steps of Mordor, yeah. What was she doing there? (laughs) Yeah, in fact, I mean, the song was so hippie. This is where... Uh, some people started calling Robert the hippie troubadour. Yeah. <laughs> I've I've heard that moniker used with others of the generation too. And, and yeah. you know, the whole humorous thing, Zephyr, one of the bands that took that hippie love and music of the 60s and trampled it under my foot. <laughs> with I see what you did there. <laughs> That's funny. My note actually says, see what I did there? <laughs> <laughs> no, but by the way, just to to really quickly say, Robert has admitted to being a little embarrassed about the mixture because a fair maiden wouldn't be fun in Mordor and right. would only care about the ring. <laughs> yeah. Getting into Zeppelin was what got me into a lot of the blues stuff that I listened to. And I, even though I had already seen Bakshi's Lord of the Rings cartoon when I was a kid and was, was interested in it, it was really Zeppelin that kind of kind of got me to where I was actually willing to sit down and read The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. Uh, and it was largely because of this song. Makes sense. Yeah. I could see that. By the time I listened to the song, and I was listening to the song, I'm like, oh my god, that's, that's Golem! Yeah! <laughs> that's Mordor! Oh, it's fucking great! <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's awesome. It is. And uh, never released as a single, but it nope. actually peaked at number 66 on the Canadian Hot Digit Singles in 2007. I don't doubt it. And uh, there are rumors that the extra percussion bits you hear in there are being played on plastic buckets or guitar cases because Bonzo didn't have any bongos around. But they're rumors. Like there's not, I've not read. Maybe they're not rumors. I've just never been able to find anybody from the band saying yes, that's what happened. They're a bunch of smarmy bastards who like to give a little nod and a wink and make it all seem magical and mysterious, even when they don't know what the fuck they're talking about. So, yeah. <laughs> that's what I has on Ramble on. Yeah. So let's not ramble on <laughs> anymore. <laughs> nope. Instead, let's talk about Bonzo's Moby Dick. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wouldn't know. Uh, <laughs> no, but maybe that's why it pre- previously been called Pat's Delight. <laughs> that being his it, wife's name. <laughs> it, it was. And I think I talked about this in some of the stuff when we were talking about Led Zeppelin 1. Okay, so, so Moby Dick is it was John Bonham's drum solo. And previously it had been called Pat's Delight or technically I guess Pat's Delight was a completely different song because it's, it's bookended at the beginning and the end with uh, guitar and bass. There's no vocals in it, but you know, it's John Paul Jones and Jimmy Page and John Bonham play a thing at the beginning and then they play a thing at the end. And then the, in the middle is Bonham's drum solo and Pat's Delight was set up the same way, but the riff that Jimmy Page is playing and the bass part that uh, John Paul Jones is playing are different. 
in Paths to Light. Yeah, it's, it's not. Uh, it's, yeah, it's a completely different thing. So, um, and Bonzo never played that damn solo the same way twice. Ginger Baker had a drum solo similar. I mean, in the same arrangement as far as there was a guitar and bass drum intro, and then the drum solo, and then the guitar bass drum outro, basically uh, bookending the drum solo on either end of it, and that was called Toad. And that was this was Bonzo's version of Toad, basically, because he was such a big Ginger Baker fan. So, and being a Ginger Baker fan was also the reason he kept trying to add a second bass drum and the band Led Zeppelin kept <laughs> hiding the bass drum, second bass drum, because he really did not need it. Um, yeah, and the, and the songs, Jody's mentioning the guitar riffs, yeah. the Pats of Light, uh, Over the Top with a little bit of Out on the Tiles, that'll be in Zep 3 pieces. Yeah. Uh, what was used in Moby Dick were guitar bits from John Estes's The Girl I Love, She Got Long Wavy Hair. Yes. And like Jody said, it's uh, Bonzo's drum solo time. And a lot of times he'd draw blood from using his hands on the toms and snare. <laughs> we, yeah. We've talked about before. Yeah. At some point, he stopped doing the solo, though. He stopped doing Moby Dick in concert. And maybe that's where Over the Top came from. Because I think that was the one that he started doing later was, was the one that they called Over the Top, which I have not heard. Although I think Over the Top was the basis for Bonzo's Montreux which wouldn't come out until the Coda album. Yeah, we'll but there were, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't want to get too too far ahead of ourselves. Right. In fact, maybe we should finish up this album and bring it on home. <laughs> uh, another one that they've had to add songwriting credits to. <laughs> yep. And I believe it's Willie Dixon again. <laughs> yep. Uh, intro and outro were set up as direct line to Sonny Boy Williamson's song, uh, recorded in 63, released in 66. Yeah, and this uh, is also given some credit to Willie Dixon. Yeah, and, and he would eventually get uh, soul writing credit on 2003's "How the West Was Won" and with the 2014 reissue of "Zep 2." Yes. Now, the the live live version of this that came out on "How the West Was Won," there's another section of the song in the middle that they played live, but was not in the studio version. Officially, I think that section of the song is called "Bring It On Back" or something like that because it's similar. It, it's a similar title, and they get credit for that portion of the song. Zeppelin does. But, yes, uh, uh, Willie Dixon gets credit for the rest of it. And do they give Sonny Boy Williamson credit nope. on it? No, nope. okay. just because Willie Dixon wrote it. Sonny yeah. Boy Williamson recorded, recorded it. it. Recorded so. it, okay. And there's there's a line in there in the intro, and I've, I don't think I have ever really heard Sonny Boy Williamson's version of this. I, I do need to look it up. There's a line. And I think it's right before, I think it's the last thing Robert says. Now, of course, Robert is, he's playing the harmonica. And so he's got the harmonica up to his mouth as he's doing the intro. So he's, he's, he's kind of muffled because he's almost singing through the harmonica, right? Well, no, uh, actually, or, Robert's harmonica, I, I love that here, but it was recorded separately in a different oh, okay. video from the rest of the song. Okay, so he's just... Just muffled. <laughs> just muffled. Okay. So what? what is the last thing? What are the last two things? And he says it real quick. Uh, has anyone seen this cunt on the bridge? <laughs> no. That's not it. That's a different song. Yes. I just, yes. So you don't, you, you, you've never figured out what it is he says there? No. I, now I would have to go back and look. I, this, I'm just hypothesizing here. I think because I know this guy was working in those in in uh, he's, he's a blues guitarist matt murphy and i swear that's the that is what robert says right before they jimmy kicks into that riff 
is because that would be the point where Sonny Boy Williamson would say Matt Murphy, and Matt Murphy would take over with a guitar solo. Huh. I'm going to have to listen closer. And I think that's what Robert says. It's the very last thing he says during that intro section. But he says it real quick. It's like, Matt Murphy. But it's muffled, and, and, and people have speculated on what that is for years, and I, I swear he's saying Matt Murphy. You know, if you've seen the Blues Brothers. <laughs> take a whole chicken? What, yeah. Dark me what? A whole chicken? Piece of yeah. toast? Yeah. Shake. <laughs> Elwood. Elwood. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, Aretha Franklin's husband. Yep. Yeah. You better think, think, think about what you're trying to do <laughs> to me, boy, and I think. Uh, that's an anyway. awesome Yeah, it's an awesome movie. <laughs> yeah, awesome song. Yes. I, yes. Love the, the, I do love that harmonica work. I like the easy distortion style. It's kind of a, mm -hmm. not over the top. Yeah. In fact, uh, this is one of the three songs that I base my own blues style around when I play the blues. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> I mean, not, not that I'm saying I'm this good, just saying it's one of the three yeah. that I, I picked up blues things from. Yes. Uh, the, the other two being Van Halen's Ice Cream Man and uh, Bon Jovi's Love for Sale. <laughs> <laughs> I, you, you like Love for Sale more than I do, but it is a good song. I, I do enjoy That's one of the few songs off that album I can actually still listen to. <laughs> uh, Ice Cream Man the first time I heard that, I will never forget. I have loved that song ever since. Uh, it was just fucking awesome. It is. And did you know Bring It On Home was played by Plant, Page, and Jones at Jason Bonham's wedding reception in 1990? I did not, but it does not surprise me. Pretty cool and, you, and you know who else played on that? Well, it wasn't me. I'm guessing Jason Bonham. Jason Bonham. <laughs> <laughs> that, that would make sense. Yeah, I thought so. Um, but yeah, I think that's, uh, oh, uh, so because of the whole Willie Dixon thing, they actually gave some credit to Willie Dixon, not sole credit, but, but they did give songwriting credit to him on the initial thing as partial. So even though they gave credit and reworked parts of it, they were still sued for not obtaining permission from the publisher, Arc Music, ah. even though Dixon had nothing to do with it. Right. Okay. Arc. Now, there, there is one more song. Uh, not mm -hmm. not released on the initial Zep 2, but it was on the 2014 Deluxe re-release called yes. La La. Instrumental track, nice keyboard work, acoustic guitar strumming, great drum fills. Mm -hmm. Got some echoey slide solo. It's got you know electric in there too. Yeah. Uh, but but I will say it is notably different from the rest of the album, which kind of backs up yes. the claim that Zep creates an album as a whole piece. Yeah, and that I, I agree that it's it's an interesting song to listen to, but it would not have fit in with the rest of the songs it, at it all. It almost makes me feel. I mean, maybe the vocals would have changed it, but as it is, kind yeah. of reminds me of what Mickey Most might have done if Yardbirds would have continued with some of the Zep members. It's it's that yeah. poppy ish. I and I remember it's been a little while since I've listened to it, but I seem to remember thinking when I heard it, I I hear germs for ideas that came later. You know, could be. I haven't put those together, but. Yeah, I even listened to it I, today. Nah. <laughs> I'd, I'd have to go back and listen to it. It may not have been that one because uh, there was – no, it was that one. It was that one. That's the only non-released. All the others outtakes yeah. were other uh, – the songs released, but either just the backing or rough drafts or, or what's yeah. not. So what are your favorites, one or two or three of them? Yes. All of them? Impressive. <laughs> um, I You know, I, I I don't know that I could say that I have a – favorites I, i've just i've got i got a couple that are less favorites than others 
Ah, you're going to go the other way. <laughs> yeah, I would I would have to go the other way because I still think they're great songs, but I don't like them as much as I like the rest of the songs on the album. And I would have to say The Lemon Song and Living Loving Made. Uh, and I'm not sure what it is about those two songs that I don't like as much as the others, but I would say those are probably my two least favorite songs on the album, and I will still listen to them. <laughs> So it's it's not a question of I don't think they're good songs. It's just they're my least favorites out of uh, off of the album. Everything else is at a much higher bar to me, and, and I have a hard time of picking any one of those, even any three of those other songs as favorites. Get that? Live and Love and Made may be one of, one of my least. Yeah. yeah. I I see why the guys didn't love it. Cool. Uh, any others that you particularly don't like? No, not not off of that album. Cool. I like them all. Yeah. Uh, but but ramble on and thank you i think would be my my top i like from other albums some of the fast pace i zep one i like its fast paced songs more than the ones on zep two yeah but thank you and ramble on i think robert's lyrics come forward mm -hmm. i think the whole band is actually contributing but i but i also like we already talked about thank you and that feel that just gorgeous beautiful yes landscape feel and ramble on tolkien autumn Oh yeah, you know, and it's it's got it's also multifaceted with some slow and fast. Yeah, yeah, I, and even even the two songs that you know that that I I don't like as much, there are things in those songs that I just I hear and I'm like, wow, <laughs> you know, it's just amazing. But yeah, I I definitely agree with you on those on the two songs that you mentioned. Thank you and Ramble on. Those are you're welcome. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, thank you. Ramble on. <laughs> All right, see you later. <laughs> Thanks. I, I think I will. No. <laughs> All right, everybody. Good night. Yeah. We actually have rambled on quite a bit. Yeah, we have. Um, <laughs> Do you have anything else in general? No, not that I can think of. Excellent. Good, good. I uh, I know for three, because of its songwriting things, in between, in fact, I, this this coming year, as we record this, it'll be this coming year. When this episode comes out, it's this year, <laughs> yeah. uh, I think in October, it's the 50th anniversary of ZEP3. So imagine we'll maybe set up ZEP3 for that bit of yeah. time. But we have a few episodes on folk rock and metal and music coming up. That'll kind of be a nice lead into it somewhere in between yeah. this and that. Yeah. That'll be what's coming up with ZEP. Sweet. No, no wait. ZEP. Yeah. <laughs> All right, then. Are you good? I am now. I just finished off my Red and Dead. Nice. On that note, I'm James. I'm Jody. We'll see you all later. Bye. The Macabre Manor is brought to you by the Twin Terrors. All rights reserved. Stay tuned for some fun outtakes. By the way, my, my term blather, uh -huh. would you also like to know who uses the term blather? Um, sure, go ahead. Blathering blatherskites is a term used in the DuckTales. I knew it. <laughs> I knew it, I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> you okay? Yeah, yeah, I just, I wish I could remember which song it was. You're welcome. <laughs> hey, let's go have fun, let's go have some fun. It's going to be shits and giggles. Look, one of those sounds fun. <laughs> Buffalo, you know I love you. <laughs> just can't. Oh, God. <laughs> well... <laughs> Sauron had him a little groupie on the side too. <laughs> Maybe. And you know who Ginger Baker's favorite drummer is. Uh, who?
Ginger Baker. 